All right, we're recording. Welcome to this episode of Strong Dads Community. I'm your host, Charlie Ford. This podcast is part of Thumos USA, a community optimizing men for growth, purpose, and impact. Thanks, everyone, for listening today. I hope the parallels in these stories encourage you to realize your own potential. Today, we have a man passionate about the importance of hormone therapy. He's the owner of Viking Alternative Medicine. He's the man, the myth, and the legend in the making, Mr. Sam Ridgeway. Welcome to the show, Sam. How are you, man? Hi, Charles. I'm doing well, Charles. How about yourself? Good, man. Good. I appreciate your time today. Um, I know you're a busy man, so uh, let's jump right in, man, and, and just start kind of diving into it. Um, first off, I guess for starters, man, tell us where you are in life today and what you're doing, what your marital status is, kids, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, uh, I'm 56 years old, so um, I'm married, been married before. This is uh, another go around, which um, this one, this one's working out great. So, uh, you don't know, first you don't succeed, I guess. Uh, three kids, uh, three kids on the wife's side, and then I have the one kid on my side. So we kind of have that whole blended family. Been married for about uh, ten years now, and uh, I own a few, a kind of a serial entrepreneur. So I own an insurance agency, peptide company, weight loss clinics. There's just a number of things I like to diversify, and um, I haven't been working for anyone else for about 25 years which of course was scary at first, but uh, after you do it once, you're kind of like, hey, this really isn't that bad. So that's kind of where we are in life. I feel like uh, I've uh, been relatively successful, not to toot my own horn or you know, that kind of thing. I don't really like it when people go down that road, but we, let's just say we don't want for anybody. So I'm, I'm happy where I am and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm proud of where my wife and I have, have taken things. Oh, that's great, man. So have you, have you always had that entrepreneurial mindset? You know, I have, and I've lost everything a couple of times in my life. In fact, one time, it's it about 12, 12 years ago, I uh, I sold my business. I, my, I had an insurance agency. It was the largest producer of individual health insurance uh, in the United States. It was a very large company. And I just kind of wanted to get out of it, sort of retire, do what I wanted to do. So I sold it off. And um, I had two different offers, one from a conglomerate sort of thing and another from an individual and his wife. And I kind of, it was my baby. I started it from my basement. So I, I kind of had more of, I liked more where the guy and his wife were going to take it over just some big company that was just going to, I don't know, it just seemed so to kind of cheapen the thing. So anyway, I, instead of doing that, which was a half a million dollars more, by the way, uh, I sold it to this uh, to this couple, and I wouldn't have to I wouldn't have to work again for the rest of my life. It was about a year into it, everything's fine, uh, and I get a letter from him stating that he can no longer pay me. He's basically run the business into the ground like an idiot. I had owner financed it. Anybody out there that owner finances never do it, no matter what the financials oh. from the person say. Get your money up front. Uh, but anyway, so they came in, took all my cars, took all my house, took everything, and about 12 years ago, I could not even buy paper for my daughter to go to school. That's where I was in life. My wife at that point in time uh, decided that uh, a broke guy wasn't really who she wanted to be with. So she was off doing other things with other men. And so all of this is coming down on me at one time. So that was a very dark part of my life where I had to tell my daughter, you know, baby, we can't buy everything off of this list. We just got to select these things. But, but you know, when that stuff happens, I mean, nobody cares. Right. Nobody. I don't have an uncle that's going to give me money. I can't call somebody or phone a friend. I can't do any of that. Nobody cares if I'm laying in the gutter or not. So, you know, you kind of have that period of time where you're you're feeling sorry for yourself. And then one day you wake up and you're like, you know what? Nobody's going to change this but me. And you get back on that horse 
dust yourself off, get back on that horse, and then you start riding again. So that's exactly what we did, and here we are. Wow. You know, I hear that story. All I hear stories of successful entrepreneurs. That the difference maker is that it's it's obvious all of them fail at some point, but it's the the you know pursuit to continue after your failure that really makes the difference. And uh, the ones that uh, it just it's too hard on them and they give up. They don't they don't succeed after that because they're just you know the the failure is just too detrimental for them. And that just yeah, goes I to think show. You, I mean, go ahead. I think you can. I think you could. On a decent entrepreneur, I think you could pretty much just take them up in a plane, drop them off anywhere in the world, and within a year, they're going to be successful. It's it's the confidence in knowing that I know how to do this. And building businesses isn't hard. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of work up front. You have to hire the right people. You have to do it in a certain way. But once you have the whole conceptual part of it down, you can build anything and bring it back up uh, usually within a couple of years wow well let's let's uh let's let's jump back a ways and talk about your childhood um tell me a little bit about you growing up and your relationship with your father yeah that's kind of a different one too uh well i was when i was born in illinois um i was apparently born to a family who really didn't have the resources to take care of me and i guess my mom at the biological mom at the time um, I, w- I was in a situation one time where the, her boyfriend beat me so bad that I had I still have little scars on my face. You really can't see them. I'd have to point them out before you'd see that. But anyway, that happened. So the state came in, took me away. Uh, they gave me to a foster family who uh, started taking care of me. But the foster family was one of those where they're looking for the money, not really interested in the, you know, the had no vested interest in my success, pretty much. Uh, in fact, I remember one time it was Christmas Day and this my my earliest memory. Um, so there's a fire truck that the little boy got, the, the little boy that actually was the biological son of, of the family. And so I I didn't have anything at Christmas. And I went over, I started playing with this fire truck. And, um, you know, I was like scolded for that. Like, don't, you don't touch that. That's not yours, right? So I remember vaguely, because I'm, I'm about two and a half, right? Vaguely, the only reason I remember this is because I just sat there on Christmas. Mm. I didn't know what it was or anything like that. All I knew was there's a truck there and I'm not allowed to play with it. Right. And, and so there was probably, uh, given that there were probably other things that happened in that. So if we continue to go with this, this family took me to a fair, a carnival, whatever you want to call it one time. And my biological mom uh, stole me back out of the, uh, out of the baby carriage thing that they had. And they had to go get me again and bring me back out and so on. And eventually two and a half, about three years old, I was adopted by my mom. And it was she and I and my original, I guess, adoptive father at the time. His name was Mark. And Mark, uh, uh, just in and out of jobs. My mom was a school teacher, almost had her PhD, extremely intelligent woman. But but my my adoptive dad, I kind of a freeloader, to be honest with you. And he was he messed around with other women. They got divorced. So it was my mom and I from about, it's about four until I was about maybe eight or nine, where she met a guy. And... Um, that's who I call my father, right? So uh, his name Bob, and Bob was amazing. He went to all my ball games. He was the president of the soccer club. Never missed anything. He was so. so I really got a good. I guess uh, I had a great childhood with my mom because I, she was totally focused on me. Like I was totally. I never. I, I had piano lessons, the dancing. To, she stuck me in everything. And then when she got to this guy. 
Bob, he came in and he just like joined in. He had three bio- biological kids, but craziest thing, I was his favorite, right? Because we lived together. His biological kids, it was the every other weekend sort of thing. So anyway, yeah, he was an amazing dad. So that's kind of where I learned the whole dad sort of thing. But quite honestly, I guess if we really look down into it, um, you know, I mean, I could probably be a better father. I, I think those formative years without having a, you know, a, a dad, if you will, in my life, um, I mean, it didn't totally ruin me. I still know what I need to do, but I don't know that I have that sort of innate, innate fatherly sort of thing going on, except for my daughter. That's, that's where I've, I've got it. But uh, aside of that, I really don't like kids, to be honest Dude. with you. And I don't know what it, what it is, but I just, if they're not mine, I just don't like them. So, you know, that's kind of where that went. So those were my early years, went all the way up and, uh, and I had a great childhood, but I really have to attribute to this guy who really didn't have to do what he did. Did you, uh, when your mom adopted you, like came back and tried and, and, and adopted you back, how, how did that make you feel? Well, my mom is my mom was not that woman. The, the lady that biologically had me, she took me back, but the state came and got me again. Then stuck me back into foster care. And then my mom, mom adopted me, my, my adopted Oh, uh, gotcha. So what's okay, the same right. woman? Yeah, I gotcha. should have made okay. that a little more clear. So, yeah. It, but that one, I mean, I was I had a family, right? So while I really don't remember, it's not like a it's not like a visual image I have of it. It's more of a feeling. Right. It's more of I felt like I had a home. Mm. Did did when you finally, uh, you know, you're at around age eight when uh, when she met it, that's Mark, you said, is your uh, Bob. I'm sorry, Bob. Bob was. Yeah. So, Bob so was when one. when Bob came on board, was it was it easy for you to sort of uh, be vulnerable with him or or were you sort of tight wound and and clinched up because of your it previous was clinched experience. at first but it wasn't necessarily i don't think from my previous experience i think he was more so because he was taking my mom right like uh, it was my mom and i we were like connect joined at the hip like we did it like i said we did everything she, this woman lived yeah, she me. was yours right she was yeah. yours so here comes this guy trying to move in on my territory right right so okay i think until i got the feeling from him which really didn't take that long but until i got that feeling for him that he actually cared about me and my mom which made our lives better. He wasn't, he wasn't like intruding into my life. He was making it better. And once I understood that, then the relationship changed. Was there any moment that, um, that really solidified your relationship with, with, with Bob? I don't think that there was any particular moment that it had, it was just a progressive series of watching his actions because anybody can say anything they want. But you mm-hmm. look at people's actions, and I think even at eight, you're not—you just don't believe what everybody says. You've been lied too much. You've been lied about the Easter Bunny Christmas. Everybody's just liars, right? So I think you come in and you're just like, okay, I'm going to look at actions, and that's what I'm going to focus on. And his actions said he cared. Mm. Yeah, I've heard that statement before. You are what you do, not what you say. And yeah. uh, man, that's that's pretty evident. Wow. Okay. And so you stayed, uh, so you, you, you kind of stayed with them. That was, that has, I mean, still to this day, uh, how are they today? Still to this day. Oh, well, they're both dead, but uh, my mom died on 9-11, the 9-11. I'm sitting in her hospital room. She had diabetes, didn't take care of herself, didn't listen, which is part of the reason why this whole hormone therapy is so like a passion of mine. Had diabetes, didn't listen, eventually dialysis. My dad didn't help. He kept buying her, you know, 
Kentucky Fried Chicken and all kinds of stupid, stupid shit. Can we? I don't. I don't want to. Yeah, really, yeah. Can we say yeah, shit? Yeah, free. Sure. So he yeah. stupid shit. He would he would buy, bring it home, and she would eat it, and and then she finally had a stroke, which uh, reduced this woman from like two credit hours short of a doctorate to where she couldn't even finish speeches, and she didn't want to be like that, right? So. Her death on on the 9/11 again. I was sitting in her in her hospital room and I saw the towers get hit and all the rest of that stuff. It was about an hour later and she passed away. But um, I know she didn't want to be like that, right? And if you ask me, that's another thing. Like I tell my wife, I'm like, hey, if I get to the point where you got to wipe my ass, like I'm done. I'm ready to check out. She's like, oh no, yeah. no, dear. Like I I don't really see any reason to live past. It. So anyway, that's where my mom was. So her passing was obviously sad because it's it's final right but it was also sort of a little of a relief that a woman like her didn't have to live like that anymore Mm. and and after she passed your relationship with your adoptive father how did that change or stay strong get stronger it didn't really change but he he at the latter part of her when she was still alive, he started getting dementia. So by the time she died, he was pretty much where you had to control his bank account and everything because he'd take money out if left on his own and he would walk around town and he would just lose it. And it, it was just a horrible thing. Then his brother came in and, and sent him down to Florida to a, to a nursing home. And anyway, so it's just craziness, right? And you know, that's the, that's the thing about life, right? You, you Everybody out on social media today it gives this whole presentation that everything is just rosy, right? And the whole vests up yeah. and all the rest of that. When you step behind, you pull that curtain back, we're all jacked up. We all have shit in our lives that are just totally messed up. We just present this facade to the rest of the world that everything's okay. It's We all got our problems, though. And, and a lot of times it's messed up. Some more messed up than others. But, you know, I still think everybody has their own their own thing that they have to deal with. I don't think. Every, I, I think people forget that and they just yeah. pretend like my life's so so crappy. Look at these people out there. They got their own shit. Don't worry about it. They're effed up too. Yeah, the facade is uh, these happy moments in your life. You post them on social media and if, if you, you sort of piggyback those happy moments, it looks like your life is just peaches. <laughs> Not only but do no. you post them, you stage them, right? Mm. You You get into certain spots in your life. You're like, okay, do this. You do this, I'll do this, and then you take this perfect shot, and then you put it out there, and everybody does that, and then you sit there, and you look at all these other perfect shots, and you're like, holy cow, I'm missing the boat. Like, why does my life suck so bad? I think that's a problem with social media. I mean, and I can't really say that, because look at what we're doing, right? We're doing podcasts. Right. So that's yeah, crazy. sure, yeah. But, I'm just, but we're, we're doing real here. See, that's totally different. We're not staging anything, pretending like everything's rosy. We're getting down to the deep and dirty here, and we're saying, hey. You know what? We had adversity. We overcame it. And now here we are. And you guys can do the same. Like that's I think that's the message that we send out. That is a great message. And I think about, um, you know, I always go go back to to tears. Uh, That's one thing that you don't see too much on social media is real tears from people who are struggling or, or just stories about people who are struggling, because it does it does resonate with everybody. Like you said, it's struggles are real and everyone is going through something i mean it, it, that but is nobody wants to admit it nobody wants to admit it because they have this whole thing this 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 fake sort of world out there that they they see on their screens 
I mean, you go to anywhere, I don't care if it's the doctor's office, the DMV, wherever, everybody's got their phone out, right? They're all looking at stuff. You're going through social media and now everybody captions everything because most of the time they're looking at it and the sound's off. So even when you're sitting in some places as benign as the DMV, you're watching videos of people living their, their, their best life, right? Mm-hmm. And you're yeah. thinking to yourself that it's constantly reinforcing to you that you suck. <laughs> and all yeah. these other people are, you know, are, are just knocking it out of the park. There's got to be something on people's psyche with that. I mean, I don't know what it is, but that's, you know, that's got to wear on some people. But I, anyway, I think that's not what this one's about. No, no, I, I think it does wear on people. Um, and, and I guess to fast forward to um, you, you know, you lost your mom. At what point you mentioned that, uh, I guess facetiously, that you don't like kids, but you have your daughter. At what point um, did you decide that having a child was the right thing to do for you? You know, I don't. Well, it was decided for me. So you know, that was that was kind of like, oh, okay, well, congratulations, you know, we're going to be parents. <laughs> so it wasn't really that whole plan sort of thing. Now I never uh-huh. expected to go through life childless, and I'm not saying that that's a waste of a life. I'm just saying in my mind, I want somebody to kind of leave a legacy, and I want to feel a sense of pride that I raised. Uh, you know, a, a decent human being that hopefully will go off and make the world a better place than than when they got here. So I find having a child to be an integral, integral part of life itself. Again, if you don't believe that, I'm not faulting you to each his own. God love you. That's just my view. So I knew that I would never not have a child. I just didn't know how well, given my past and what I had been through, I just didn't know how well I could, I, I would be able to handle that. I didn't know whether I would have that whole feeling of this kid is mine and I'm going to protect it at all costs or whether it was just going to be kind of like, a, eh, okay, you know, another human being, you know, it's just do what you do. And fortunately it happened to where my, you know, you touch my daughter, I'll kill you sort of thing. So that unfortunately <laughs> I, I do have that. And I do yeah. have it for the, for my, for my wife's kids too, quite honestly. I, I mean, I, I, we have an incredible relationship as well. So I feel like I have, you know, four kids. Wow. And and so here you go, unexpected, your daughter's born. What are you using as your mental model at that point to be a dad? How, how did you think, oh man, I've got to work on myself. I've got to do things differently. Or did you just say, man, like I'm completely outwardly focused, not necessarily worrying about yourself and thinking about your daughter coming into this world. Like how, how did you approach that being a dad for the first time? If I, if I try to look back, I, it was rough. I mean, I was, uh, you know, I mean, I, I was at a point in time where it was unexpected to the point of like, okay, congratulations. But in the back of your mind, like, how am I going to pay for this? Right. Like, you know, all of that stuff. I mean, my daughter was born on, on uh, Medicaid. That's the, the, where I was in life. See, I think the thing though people don't understand about entrepreneurs is that it's not all oh, this rosy sort of thing. It's 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 success, and then you make one stupid move, and you can destroy everything that you've built. Like you're in charge, which is great, but you're in charge. You're the one, nobody to blame but yourself. So I think there's been three different times I went through my life. This happened to be one of those. Obviously, not a very opportune time to have a child, but but here we are, and. 
so I just, you know, I, I, it's hard to put your everything into somebody else when you're not okay, right? When you're struggling, when you're fighting with your spouse over money and, and trying to make things work and there's not enough hours in the day and you still have to sleep and then there's crying and diapers. And so it was a, it was a, a rough patch, but I never saw it as being necessarily a burden. I just uh, had another reason to be successful. Mm, so you took it in a positive light. I was going to ask how you manage that because what you just described, I can imagine many, many people are going through that, especially in today's world with the, the cost of inflation and uh, in, in all of the prices just skyrocketing. It is very difficult to be outwardly focused when you don't even feel like you have your house in order. So you're, right. you're going right. through this and how did how did you manage through that dip? I mean, it sounds like this couldn't have been worse timing for you to have your first child. And yet you got through and, and what, what was your train of thought? Yeah, I, I think I was on the fortunate side of entrepreneurialism where it was me that was going to make or break it. I mean, I can't imagine working a job and I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure there's a way out of it, but I can't imagine working a job that makes like minimum wage or above minimum wage. And I don't have any way to improve that. Like I can get another job, but I know my skill level is only going to be so much. I know I'm only going to earn so much. I have no idea what people do at that point in time. But fortunately for me, it was another situation of you're the one that can they got yourself into this. You're the one that can get yourself out. Let's find something we have passion in, something that comes easy to you and difficult to others, and let's build a business around it. So that's where I went with it. So I, I think that it wasn't necessary that the, the point in time itself wasn't optimal, but at least I had a way out. Like I could. I, it was me that could get me out. I wasn't dependent upon anyone else to do so. Were you worried at all about neglecting your daughter pursuing this entrepreneurial, you know, venture? You know, I mean, I, I guess, I guess neglect is sort of subjective, right? Because yeah. if you can, you can spend five hours with somebody and if you're watching TV on your phone, on your computer and all the rest of that, are you really spending time with them? No, they're just kind of there. And is that, does that matter in their lives? I don't really believe so. Or you could take an hour out of your life. You're totally hundred percent focused on that individual. Now that's quality time. So I was, I don't think that I was necessarily worried about the, like a neglect sort of thing, because I tried to make quality time where for that hour, hour and a half, it was just the two of us. Ah, mm. uh, So even though, you uh, may have had smaller windows. You made those effective in in quality, filled with quality. I made them in quality because I did have because anybody that's also just started a business or anything knows that it is a relentless. Uh, you were always on. I, I I don't know if we'll ever go here, but I after my insurance company agency got sold off and all the rest of the thing fell apart with the guy not paying me and me losing my cars and my house and all that. My 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 wife. Um, that I came and I, a year and a half later, I started up a, another insurance agency and it was on a card table in my apartment. It had a phone and I had a computer and that's what it was. And if that phone rang at 2 AM, I was answering that phone every time my wife, my wife, now she would come over and it was kind of funny. She, she would come over and she'd spend the night every now and then sort of thing while we were, while we were dating. 
and it used to crack her up. It'd be one, one thirty in the morning. That phone would ring. My ass was out of bed. It was in there. It was answering that phone. How can I help you? And that's wow. exactly what it takes to be. You, you, you have to do that. If you're not willing to do that, go work for someone else again and buy them a yacht. Don't, don't do that yourself. Man, it, it, you know, I don't, I don't know if you think this is uh, something that's commonplace, but you, it sounds like you have a gift in evolving yourself. With, through optimism. I mean, you're very optimistic, obviously, going through these dips and just having that that confidence level to continue and that everything's going to be fine. How how have you used that same spirit of evolving as a father? I mean, were you I mean, for those listeners out there who haven't seen Sam, uh, Sam's a big dude like you, you've, you've you're uh, you look like you spend a lot of time in the gym. You, you really take care of yourself. And obviously, we'll get down the path of, of where you are today with that in the hormone therapy. But but were you always like that or did, did you evolve? And, and was that I after wasn't. you had a daughter? I wasn't. And I'll go back and answer your first question. I think that in that whole entire thing, I, I have a different maybe outlook, as I think a lot of entrepreneurs do, where you have this whole um, view of the world as Nobody owes you anything. It's all yours. And it, but it, even it, it's all you're doing. But in saying that, you have to take it. Nobody's going to give it to you. So you do it, you know, ethically, morally, legally, all the rest of that stuff. But you get out there and you take what is yours. And everything out there is available. There's no, you, you won't have a mindset of their limitations. Like if I, I don't see anything that if I wanted to go get it, I couldn't get. But that's got to be sort of the mindset. So I instill that within my daughter. I don't do things like, I mean, obviously, when she was younger, I would. But I always made her do things like make your own sandwich. And not because I was a, a lazy ass, just because I never wanted her. I see so many kids today that were like 20-year-olds relying upon their mother to make a phone call to the, to the dentist, right? Make your own phone call to the day like where at what point in time are you going to do things on your own so anyway from the beginning i made sure that my daughter had the ability to work for herself to do things for herself to take care of herself to be self-sufficient but still knowing that if she ever failed at doing that she had a safety net and she so she didn't have to worry about failure she could fail if she needed to and you you have to not be afraid of failing in order to be successful in life. Well, not only that, but you, uh, the, the way you describe it is there are instances where not only are people not afraid to fail, but there are parents and at no, you know, unintentionally getting upset when the people fail, when, when their kids fail. And, yeah. uh, and that, that's and if it's completely something opposite stupid, as, you know, yeah. If it's something stupid, like, like drugs, things like that, obviously, yes, get pissed off. But, if the kid tries something and, and gives it their best effort and fails, that's really all you can ask is that they gave it their best. If they half-ass it and fail, yeah, I'm not going to give you a pass on that one. But if I know that you did your best and you failed, that's okay. And if you have a passion for that, you want to keep doing it, then let's do it again. Let's do it until you're good at it. Wow. I mean, that's, that's some sage advice right there. <laughs> did, did So getting back onto the health piece, you weren't always uh, in the gym taking care of yourself. At what point did that change? I struggled with my weight my whole life. I like, even as when I was a kid, I would like bounce like, but I'm talking yo-yo, like, like a long yo-yo. One of those old ones that we used to have, the heavy ones. Uh, <laughs> Duncan, Duncan, what that one? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. It, was, it was like, I would go from one end to the next and, 
And, you know, there were times where, you know, I mean, I would get kidded about being fat, right? Like as a kid, which, you know, we talk about like the whole social media thing. I mean, obviously we didn't have it back when I was a kid, but I mean, that was like worse. Like I, people are pointing it out. Kids are, are brutal. Like, you know, so you start getting like this whole entire like thing going on about maybe I'm not okay, you know, and, and then you flip that switch and then you get back in and you, you, you lose that way and you get up there, then you get treated totally different. And at some point in time, you realize that your physique, the way you look, you get treated entirely differently when you walk out of this house. Today, it's six foot three, 270 pounds and, and in the gym and the rest of the stuff, taking care of myself because I have to represent the hormone clinic, right? I get treated 100% differently than I did when I was almost 400 pounds, like five years ago, four or five years ago. And going on that, I know you did one and with the whole weight sort of thing. And, and I, I, there was one day my daughter comes home and she says, hey, kid, hey, dad, kids are laughing at me. I'm like, what are you talking about? What are they laughing at you about? They're laughing because you're fat. I'm like, okay. And so I play it off like it were like, okay, well, they you know those are just stupid kids and you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But in my head, I'm like, seriously, your daughter is going to take a bunch of shit, the same shit that you took. She's not fat, but she's taking the same heat that you took when you were a kid because you can't keep a fork out of your mouth. Are you effing kidding me? And so that was a big turning point for me. That's when I was like, okay, this has got to change. I am not going to let somebody else get chastised and berated over me not being able to be disciplined. Were you 400 pounds at that time? I was 400 pounds. Yeah, 400 pounds. Yep. 400 pounds and not nearly, I didn't have nearly the muscle I have today. So we're talking 400 pounds of, of just, you know that right which isn't healthy there's nothing about that that you can say is good there's no reason for that and it's in i'm not just going to go into the whole calories in calories out but let's say we take it down to that level it's just a matter of not putting that fork in your skull that's it that's what it comes down to don't stick food in your mouth you won't gain weight it's as simple as that well i'll I'll tell you this man that the you, you were in your 40s at this time right yep so uh, at this point, you're in your 40s. You hear this. You've lived your whole life doing the yo-yo thing, and you hear this from your daughter. That could break. I mean, that could easily break men, and then you end up sticking the fork in there even more because of you know just hitting into a spiral of depression. How? I mean, it sounds like you responded in a complete positive way. What? What was your mindset there? How do you do that? I mean, for guys out there that that are in a similar situation, maybe they're not 400 pounds, maybe they're, you know, two, they're just 50 pounds overweight. Um, what, what kind of mindset do you have to have to hear that and say, you know what, it's time for me to make a change? Like, what were you thinking? It was the same entrepreneurial mindset. It was the same way when I had my cars in my house taken and I'm just sitting there and I can't buy paper for my daughter to go to school. And I'm like, like, you know, you can, there's a path, right? You come to a fork in the road. You can go to the left and you can feel sorry for yourself. You go to depression, maybe become an alcoholic, you draw, whatever you, you do to, to escape from reality and pretend like it doesn't exist. Or you can take it head on and say, you know what, this isn't going to change unless I do something. And that was the mindset that I had at the time. I was like, if you continue to do this, I could get depressed. Just like you said, I could continue to, you know, to binge eat and all the rest of that stuff for me, for me and all the rest of it. Was that going to help my daughter? No. Was that going to help me? No. Was that, and everything that you do, even though it was just my daughter and myself, 
all my friends and all the everything that you do has a ripple effect and it goes off. So I just didn't see the reason to sit there and be selfish and not like fix the problem when it is fixable. And I'm the only one that can do it. So I just, again, the entrepreneurial spirit sort of thing, it just comes through and you're just like, I'm going to do this. I, I have to do this. Like, I really have no choice. So then how did this impact your daughter? She, so you're a man of action. You, you've mentioned that. So you just start doing it. Did you, start how long it. before, how long before your daughter started to recognize that? Did it, and what was the impact to her when she saw, Hey, dad's going and take care of himself. Did, did she talk to you about that? Should you say anything or we did that? because it was us, right? It was us. It was, it was she and I, right? So, um, we, we did, and we turned it in, I'm not going to say a game, but kind of a game, like, you know, we're going to eat right. We're going to get this stuff. We're going to get down. I know dad's not healthy. And I know that, you know, and of course I don't want you to get kidded at school about this. So, you know, let's do this. So we, we, we both start eating right. Right. And because, you know, kids, you, they're in the back seat. they're yelling, let's go through McDonald's and, and st- shove some chicken nuggets in their mouth and they'll shut up. Right. And then and you just do things like that as a parent, because you've worked the whole entire day. You're tired at the end of the day. They're going to be happy with chicken nuggets. You're going to be happy that they're happy. And so you just let it go. And that's really at the scheme of things, you turn a bunch of kids into, into people have problems with their weight in their adulthood. I mean, that's really where it goes, all of that. So you step back and you turn it into a game and say, Hey, let's do this. Let's get healthy. You're going to get healthy too. Right. We're not going to eat that crap anymore. You know, let's do this. All right, dad, let's go. ahead. So it was sort of a bonding sort of thing. I, I think if I, if I remember correctly, it was us doing it together. Oh man, that's, that's wonderful. And, and how long before, um, you're on that journey and this, at this point you weren't, uh, remarried, correct? You're, you don't have the blended family yet. I don't. Right. You're correct. And then, so, uh, so you start getting into shape and, uh, some point down the line, you, uh, you meet your, your now, uh, wife mm-hmm. and you've got this blended family. Um, as a father, what, so it sounds like you and your daughter really created that bond, you know, going through this, the transition, um, does she talk to you now? Has it, has she ever mentioned to you about the impact of you making that change? Yeah. She sends me picture. In fact, I probably got one three days ago or four days ago. She sent me a picture. I was really fat. She's like, ha ha ha. You know, like, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Right. But nothing humbles you than your daughter sending you these big, uh, these pictures, you looking like a whale and, you know, it, but, it, it, but for us, it's, it's sort of, we, we came out of it. Right. So, it was a, it was a time and it was a bad time in my life. Not, not necessarily hers. Cause she, she knew she was getting kidded, but she didn't have that whole burden of, she was the one creating it. Right. She knew it was me. So there's a little, you don't take as much ownership nor should she for, for my actions. But for me, when I was the one causing it, absolutely horrible. So yeah, she kids me about it and you know, we laugh at it now. And, um, that's about a, but it was definitely a bonding period and it definitely brought us closer together. And she also watches her weight and what she eats and chooses. She's at Mizzou right now. She's a sophomore in her, in her sorority and straight A's all through high school. She's got straight A's all through college. So all of that is, is amazing, but she still watches her weight and knows exactly how to eat. And she would never have known how to do that. Had that not, had that event not occurred. I'm a hundred percent certain of that. Wow. What a, what a gift. And how long before you decided that, uh, I guess let's, let's kind of jump into 
where you are now and what what caused you to create your company Viking? Um, and and yeah. at what point in your fitness journey did you realize, wow, this not only being in the gym and nutrition is important, but hormones? Yeah, well, what happened was my okay, my daughter and I were in that situation. You're fat. We go and we we learn, and then I got married, and I was I was you know in pretty decent shape. I wasn't in the gym all the time like that or anything like that, but I was I watched what I ate. So I got married, and I had broken my my ankle. And that gave me a period of time where I really couldn't move around that much at all. And I was, I guess, kind of a uh, an ass. You know, I was always, you know, a crotchety man, you know, that kind of thing. So, hey, my water, my my, my wife's making food. She's giving me, you know, half Jack Daniels, half Coca-Cola in these huge glasses, and two or three of them, you know, just to keep me pacified. And that went on for about, I don't know, three, four months. And and I had already started to gain a little bit of weight. You know how it is. You get married, you settle down, you become a little bit complacent. My daughter's older. She's not going to get kidded anymore. So, you know, you let yourself go a little bit. But after mm-hmm. that whole ankle thing, I was back up to 370, 380. Again, I can I can get big, but I can get big. Like there's, there's pros and there's cons. Some people eat all that can't. I wish I was bigger. I wish I could gain weight and rest like I'm like, I've never had that problem my entire life. So I, I got kind of back up there. And... I got to the point where my epiphany moment was my, my back would go out about every quarter. I'd go to the doctor, get flexoril hydros. I'd lay in bed, lie in bed. And, and I'd wait for about three days. I couldn't hardly move. And then I'd get back up and, and it was my ankle. Cause I had broken it when the weather changed, it was going to rain. It would just hurt like hard. I could hardly step on it. Sometimes my elbow, my left elbow, I couldn't hardly lift anything with it. I had the tennis elbow or whatever it was. It was, it was, it was bad. And my back had gone out. I was sitting on the toilet one day, my epiphany moment, I went to wipe my butt and I couldn't, I could not reach back there. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to call my wife, my wife, I'm in my forties when my wife's going to like, in my 50s, my early 50s. I'm like, what is my wife going to wipe my butt for like the rest of my life? Where are you going with this? And you know, the tra- the trajectory of where it's going to go is not good. If it's here right now, it isn't getting better unless you do something about it. So I started doing some research and everything and, and trying to figure out what I could do. I found hormone therapy because I had gone, I had gone back to the gym. I had tried to lift weights I had tried to eat right I had but I'm 50 years old so nothing that I was doing was working like if you're not going to go to work if you're not getting paid and I felt like I was going to work and not getting paid I was doing the things but the things weren't working so I was just just, throwing my arms uh, up in the air pause right there for a second for those who who may not understand that you're you're going and you're putting the work in when you say it's not working what, what exactly do you mean it's not working you're putting in the work and what's not working I'm not losing weight. Like I'm, I'm just not losing weight. It, 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 I might be losing weight, but that the results did not even cl- come close to matching the effort, right? I'm going in this full force. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And it's just not happening. I'm not losing the weight. I don't feel like my, my lean muscle masses. I'm, I'm not getting the results that I should have got the results that I got earlier in life. And those were the results I was used to. I was going to do this, this, and this, and I'm going to yield this, this, and this. And it just wasn't matching up. So I'm like, there's got to be something wrong here. And I'm at that point again. I can't wipe my butt. I'm going to change things. And and I get in. I finally look into hormone therapy. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Maybe my maybe I'm 50 and my testosterone's low. That's what it says here. You know that could be a problem. So I get it tested. It was way low, like way low, which increases your estrogen, 
which then you get fatter because your metabolism slows down to a crawl, which then produces more fat, more estrogen. It's this huge spiral that just takes you just out of control if you don't, if you don't deal with it. So I get into hormone therapy and, I, and I'm, I, I, I fix it. I start going to the gym and I start seeing results. I start watching what I eat and I start seeing results. And all of a sudden, this whole entire thing changes my life. So I'm like, you know what? As an entrepreneur, again, um, I had started an insurance agency. It was up and humming. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to put somebody else in charge of this, which side note, that's what you do. You build a business, get it up, run and profitable, put somebody in that, that runs it. You go off, start another business. You just take a paycheck out of that one and you just continue to do that. Just rinse, repeat. That's how you make good money. But anyway, so I, I did that and I said, hey, this hormone therapy thing's awesome. I would love to bring this out to the world. So I uh, started a business and uh, I thought I could do it better than anyone else. And, you know, now we have six, seven thousand patients nationwide and we, you know, we're we're changing lives. So they came from personal experience. That's where the business came from. You have again, you have to have a passion for something. You cannot go into a business and do well if you don't have any passion for it. It's just not going to work. Because you're not going to be in it. You're going to wake up in the in the morning with that fire in you. I'm going to take over an entire industry. Like if you don't wake up with that fire, it's never going to be successful. You're just you can do it, but it's just going to be mediocre. So, so so in in by hormone therapy, you're talking about testosterone. You were taking testosterone. How uh, how you said that it's changed your life? Can you kind of describe? where you were at that point when you were sitting on the toilet compared to today and, and what, what you mean by, you know, changed your life. Is it uh, yeah. you personally, your relationships, you know, all of that. Yeah, it's all of it. It's all of it. But I think the whole thing comes down to self-confidence, right? Because if you're not confident in yourself, if you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, you can't possibly go out in the world and present an, a positive image. I mean, you, you people read stuff. I mean, only 7% of what I say is what you get out of an interaction with me. The rest of it's body language and the tone of my voice. So uh, it didn't really matter what you say out there. People read your body language. They see you looking down. They see that when you meet people, it's not eye to eye because you don't have the self-confidence to do that. You don't feel like you're really worthy because that's where you are in life. And why? Because society tells you you're not. You know, I'm just a, I'm just big and fat and undisciplined. That's the way it is in my mind. So as this changes and as you become it's still hard though. Like that body dysmorphia thing is real. Like I still look in the mirror and I, and I think I'm fat, right? I, I do. I would just be totally honest. I, I don't see what other people see. And now at this point in my life, I get all types of, of positive feedback. But when you walk out of your house and you go to, I mean, even the grocery store, you go up to the deli counter and you know, like, Hey, I'd like some chicken wings. And they're like, uh, yeah, well, let me check in the back. I'll get you some fresh one. And then, you know, the next person comes by and they're digging them out of the case. We'll go to the, the ticket line at the counter of, of, for an airplane and, hey, let's bump you up to, to first class. I mean, does it happen all the time? No, but it happens enough now to where, again, this sounds like such an asshole thing to say. I, I get special treatment because I take care of myself. So it's a totally different mindset. And even if I don't, even if I still struggle to understand it or believe it, and I don't really see it. I just have so much reinforcement from the outside world that you're, you're, you're okay. Like you're good, which is something that I really wasn't necessarily used to. Wow. I have a, um, I have a really close friend who 
takes very good care of his uh, vehicles and way more than I do of my vehicles. But if I ever have his vehicle in my care, I, I transform myself to be like him and take care of it extra special because I know that's what he would do. Yet I don't do that for my own vehicle. And, and that is just sort of a parallel to what you describe when you go to the counter. Like people see you taking care of yourself. Maybe they're not taking care of themselves the same to, to the same intensity, but they see you and they say, oh, man, I, I need to take extra special care because he takes care of himself, which is just they pretty look wild. up to you. Yeah, they, they look up to you and they ask you. I get asked all the time vacation and stuff like that. You know, what do you do? What do you eat? Some guy comes, especially at my age. It probably wouldn't be so different in 30, 20, you know, that kind of thing. But at 50, a lot of guys come up to me my age and they're like, hey, you know what? I, I try this. I try this. And it's just not working. And that's the way the conversation starts. Like, there's no, like, you know, pre-talk or anything <laughs> right. like that. You know, how's, we don't, we don't the weather do the small outside, talk. Yeah. And right. We're none of that. It's just <laughs> right up, right in the eye. Here's what I'm doing. It's not working. Help me. Right. And so you you get that stuff from other people. I think you in, but you inspire people too. So you know, I mean, that's you know, I like that part about it because I don't have a problem explaining to the guy. We can have a, a fifty minute conversation about what he needs to do, how he can do it, how I did it, how I understand him. This isn't just you know, you you get these twenty year olds on there talking about you know personal training and eating or something. I'm like, dude, you've never been a fat. You've never been fat a day in your life. You have no idea what a 50-year-old man that's got 40 extra pounds on is feeling. No idea whatsoever. So just shut up, sit down, the adults are talking, right? But when you understand <laughs> that, you know where he's coming from, you know what he's feeling, you know how it affects his marriage and, and you know, too much fat, too much ED. At my age, ED. If you, if you have all this fat on you, the rest of the stuff, estrogen is like spiky and all those things, you have problems in the bedroom. And the only thing that separates a, a husband and wife from the rest of the world is sex. And if you're not doing that, you're sleeping in different bedrooms, you know, you guys don't, if you're not doing that, you're roommates, you're just getting a tax advantage. Like that's all you're doing. So obviously it's a huge ordeal in men's lives, especially around 50 years old, when you got kind of that midlife crisis thing going on. You're like, okay, I'm feeling old. My, my, you know, my stuff's not repairing like it is. I'm not able to move and do what I used to do. And on top of that, I can't have sex with my wife. I mean, it's all of these things come crashing down on you. So it's a big deal. And it, it really affects the psyche of a lot of men. And, and they just want it fixed, right? And they have nowhere to go. And men aren't supposed to come out and and you're supposed to suck it up and move on, soldier. That's what you're supposed to do as a man. You're not supposed to sit around and talk about your feelings and all the rest of that stuff. So by the time that they come to me and talk to me, I know that it's at a level where it's hurting. Because mm. you don't walk up to a total stranger, start asking how to fix yourself if it's not almost the last resort. Right. But I it like to be the guy where somebody says, that guy over there, he can help me. That's the guy I want to be. Did, did, does your wife, um, does she, has she mentioned like what her favorite thing about you is now that you've, you've been on this, uh, hormone treatment and just taking care of yourself? Is there anything that she tells you or, or gives you feedback on? That's kind of, that's kind of a funny thing there because, uh, she said she she lied. I'm going to say she lies. She says she's not. She lies and tells me she like you know, she loved me just as much when I was almost 400 pounds. Right. I'm like, baby come on like i'm not saying you didn't love me then but it's got to be a little bit you know it, like 
the rest of the stuff got to be a little bit better now. And she's like, oh, no, I read it. So but actually, she has said in the past where, I, again, it's just, I, I hate talking about this stuff because it just gets, I will get attention from women, especially at my age, 56 years old, where 99% of the guys let themselves go and they can't see their toes anymore. So a woman is with this guy. She's not sexually attracted to him anymore. She loves him, but there's no sexual attraction, pent up frustration, whatever you want to call it. She's at the grocery store. She's a guy her age, takes care of himself. And all of a sudden that is like, they flirt. They, they, they flirt. Mm. That's what I'm just going to do. So, yeah. you know, my wife's like, you know, I kind of liked it a little bit better when you're 400 pounds because we didn't have the shit. Right. So <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm like, all right, baby. Like, that's like, you know, I, I got you, but you know, you are the only woman for me. You were with me the whole entire time. You know, I'm madly in love with you. You have nothing to worry about out here. And that's, but those are the conversations that we've had in the past. Yeah. You got your mojo, baby. That's what it's all about, man. Yeah. That's good. And, and so, so getting to your, um, your hybrid family, um, all of the lessons you learned with your daughter, how did that translate with you and and now you know your uh, your kids you know the whole kid all, all of the kids yeah well that was a good that's a good one too because um my my wife's ex-husband and again you know, I don't kind of bash him or you know names or whatever but it just wasn't a, a situation that I felt anybody should have to go through no physical abuse but there was emotional and so on and and really trying to take control and that kind of thing and it kind of the whole entire family, when dad's like that, it can really put a lot of, you know, I guess, um, stress into, onto, a, onto a family when you're just that controlling and, and you're talking to mom like she's one of your kids and you're not being respected. All of these things that happen. So, you know, they had kind of a different view of what I think what a marriage should be like. And then when when my wife and I, got married and um, you know, I don't always like it, but I respect what she has to say. And she can say whatever she wants, whenever she wants to do it. And we'll debate and argue about it uh, civilly, you know, sometimes not so civilly as everybody does. You know, sometimes it turns into a, you know, a yelling match. It's like everybody else, but I mean, it's still never where you can't speak your mind, right? You are, we're equals in this relationship. I am not above you. I'm not going to tell you what to do. This isn't a dictatorship any of that. We are equals and we both have our voice in here and both of them matter equally. That's the way that I take things with my wife. So I, I know for a fact that the children, her children came back in and, and as we've been together, there were, you know, from, they were in their teens, right? Cause we, you know, we came up with, with a lot of that, uh, totally changed their view on how, uh, on how marriage or relationship should be. And I know that because they've, they've said it. They, in fact, the son, um, two daughters and a son, Someone was like, you know, I, I was kind of worried about it, but ever since I've, you know, you and Sam have been together, you know, I, I see what being a, a man, being a husband is really supposed to be like, and he mm. thanked me for it. Right. He's like, thank you for showing me. Cause I wouldn't, that's not the way I would have gone, but, but, but now that I see this, how I see how well it operates, how with there's less, so much less stress, there's love, there's all the rest of these things. You guys are like your teenagers and, all of that stuff, you know, just, just thank you. Thank you for showing me what, what, what I'm supposed to be. And, you know, I took that as just like when my daughter said I was fat, it, it was another moment in my life that I, I won't ever forget because I didn't go set out to do that. I just set out to do what, what I felt was right. 
you know, and then it just kind of the ripple effect that you don't even realize the collateral damage, all the rest of the stuff stems off of that. It's not a, it's an unintended consequence, but you affect so many lives just by the way you act when you are, I guess, in control of a household. And I tell you, I, 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 I'm sure all the listeners agree, but you are filled, filled with positive energy and passion. Um, as we kind of close this one out, man, I, I want to ask you, um, you know, through all your journey, I'm sure you have some something to say here. What advice would you give to dads out there, younger dads out there, as they're going about their fatherhood journey? Yeah, I would just say, you know, be present, right? Like you, you have, you don't have to spend a lot of time. You just have to spend quality time. And I don't mean a lot of time like you're out golfing and fishing and, you know, I'll give you a half hour here. I'm saying you have to get that balance in your life where you have to take care of your family. You have to provide for your family. Um, and, and I'm and I'm like uh, 2023 here. Like if, if the wife's doing all that stuff, you decide to stay at home, then God love you. It doesn't matter to me which one. But I feel somebody has to stay home and take care of the kids. Somebody goes out and makes the money. Because if both of you are doing that, nobody for eight, nine hours a day has a true vested interest in the success of your child. You're going to put them somewhere where they're doing it for money. They're going to maybe do a decent job, whatever the case may be, but they don't have that vested interest in this child is going to turn into an amazing adult. Only the two of you do. So one of you needs to take that responsibility. But anyway, so be back beyond that, if you drop out of school when you're 16 and you decide that, you know, I don't know, being a mechanic is like something, that, and I'm not knocking mechanics. I mean, maybe a, maybe a janitor, let's say. They drop out of school at 16, and it's good money, good 20 bucks an hour, whatever. You know, that's not sustainable. So I think young, young people prior to that whole family thing, just stay in school. Knowledge is power. Nobody's going to pay you unless you can give them something they can't give themselves, and that's generally knowledge. So stay in school. I went in the Army. Got my my Army College Fund. I went to the Gulf War, right? I spent in Iraq. So I went in there to get college money. So don't tell me. They got this whole entire thing. Oh, well, I can't afford it. Yes, you can afford it. You go to school. You don't drop out when you're 16. And then you go in the Army or the Navy or the Marines or the, the Air Force if you have to. And you get all your college money. They'll pay for it. You can go to school while you're there. Get an education. That's my point. And then get out there and do it in something that's actually marketable. Like political science, don't go through and get a political science degree. What's that going to do for you? Absolutely nothing. You spend a bunch of money and you get nothing out of it. So go to school in a, in something that you're passionate in, you have a passion for, stay in school, get the knowledge, get out, get a good job so you can take care of your family, your wife can stay home with your kids. That's what it is. But if you don't do that, if you're not there, if you've already, you know, if that ship has sailed or whatever, do the best that you can and try to improve your skills as well as you can. Go to school at night, that kind of thing. But the biggest thing, Make sure your kids don't do the same thing you did. Change it. Change that. That the change the cycle. I don't care if you have four generations of people on welfare. Be the one that changes the cycle. Don't let your kids do that. So, I would just say, money isn't everything, but it makes it makes life entirely different. And I know that because I've been to the point where I couldn't. Before. I'm digging change out of my couch. And I've been at the point where, where are you going to spend this? I've been on both sides. And the where are you going to spend this part is so much less stressful 
it's so much it, it it is such a better world when you have resources than if you don't so while that shouldn't be your main focus your total focus it needs to be a focus it needs to be something that you do you care about you strive for all of those things because it does matter so spend time with your kids be present if you can't spend quantity of time at least spend quality of time have your child know you have your child know that you have their back back them up on things if you're going to don't don't chastise them in front of their kid their their friends and stuff like that if you do you know i mean you don't have to be happy about it but the real berating starts when they're when they're not there i mean just you don't want to be a friend like that's not your job to be a friend your job is to be a parent so don't be the buddy of your of your kid be their parent understand that you are teaching them to be a successful member of society that's your objective not to be their friend the friend will come later they can be mad they can do all the rest of it. this is what you're going to do because this is in your best interest and that's all there is i don't have to give you a reason right that kind of thing when you get when they get in their 20s it'll all change and they'll be, you'll be best friends especially if you set them on the path to success and 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 show them the way so when they get out there they can stand on their own two feet and be self confident wow that's uh you <laughs> You ever thought about writing a book as your next uh, entrepreneurial venture? Man? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I do appreciate that. I just I just you just see things and you bring information in and you start looking at families and you're like, okay, that didn't happen, right? Why? And then that one didn't happen. And when you're 56 old years old, you've you've seen a lot of that stuff, so you start kind of compressing the data and 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 manipulating it to where okay, I see patterns. I see when when dad does this. This is what happens, not every time, but enough times that we can stereotype it. And so you just you 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 just don't do that, right? You you learn and you don't do it, and you make sure that your kid doesn't make that same mistake. And that's just really what it is. Just watching the world and learning. So tell tell me this, Sam, uh, for the listeners out there, where can people find you? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, if you're looking for hormone therapy, it's at vikingalternative.com. That's the hormone. Uh, and again, we're in 48 of 50 states. So, you know, um, the, the chances are we're in your state. If that's what you're looking for to change your life and that sort of thing. Otherwise, on Facebook, Sam Ridgeway. Like, I love to connect to people and I love to share stories. I love to see, you know, my, I'm goofy, right? I, I'm goofy because I don't have anybody I have to I have to worry about, you know, some moral or ethical contract with. I basically just a. 56 year old kid that's that's what i am so i mean i think this stuff's funny my wife and i go on adventures we go to mexico every every other month you know that kind of thing we we're just 50 years she's 54 i'm 56 we we just live life so i i like to connect with people because you know it's, it's funny i like seeing what's going on in their life i see what's going there going on in my life i just think it's fun to do that so facebook if you you know because i'm old i'm on instagram but i don't really understand it so facebook <laughs> is where i am or if you're looking for the clinic or it's viking alternative Excellent. Thank you, Sam. And thank you all for listening today. If you like what you've heard, please remember to follow, share, give us a strong review. If you're a man searching for improvement and growth, be sure to check out strongdadscommunity.com. Sam, this has been a real pleasure, man. Thank you for the time. Thank you for sharing your heart and being vulnerable and being honest, man. I know this is going to help a lot of men out there. So I look forward to I talking to you. I appreciate the opportunity. Soon, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you.